Let's turn to Ephesians chapter 5, verses 22 to 33 this morning. Now, some passages in the Bible are more controversial than others, and this is one of the controversial ones. And the reason it's controversial, one reason it's controversial, is because in this passage, Paul says that wives are to submit to their husbands and that husbands are the head of their wives. And that's controversial because many people, maybe some of you, when you hear that kind of talk, wives submit to husbands and husbands are head of their wives, when, when you hear that kind of talk, what you picture is that of an arrogant, domineering man um, ordering around his inferior, servile wife. That, that's the picture that it's easy for us to get about what happens when a wife is supposed to submit to her husband and the husband is the head of the wife. But I want to show you this morning that is not at all what Paul says in this passage. Years ago, a pastor shared with me a very different picture of what Paul's talking about in this passage. So picture this. Picture a man and a woman doing ballroom dancing. Okay, you've seen TV shows like Dances with the Stars. Do you see that? Or anyway, you, you know what ballroom dancing is. It's beautiful, the, the man and the woman. Now, in ballroom dancing, the man and the woman have different roles, right? The man is taking the lead and initiating the steps. And the woman is following his lead, submitting, if you will, to his leadership. So they have different roles, the man from the woman. Now the man, is, is he feeling arrogant or superior while he's doing this? Not at all. He's not feeling arrogant, superior, and the woman is not feeling oppressed or inferior as she's involved in this. They're a team together. They're equally involved in the dance. Each of them are equally important to the dance. They have equal joy in the dance. The man is leading, the woman is following, but the result is beautiful. Unity, harmony, dazzling to watch. That's the picture that Paul wants us to have when we hear about a wife submitting to her husband just like the woman ballroom dancing, following the man's lead, and the husband being head of leading the wife. That's the kind of picture Paul's describing in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 22 and 33. Look at what Paul says. Start with verse 22. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. 
In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church because we are members of his body. Therefore, this is a quote from Genesis 2.24, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery of being one flesh is profound and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Controversial passage. I've given you one reason it's controversial. Now let me give you a second reason it's controversial, and that is because godly people who love Jesus have different interpretations of this passage, and there's, there's two main differences in the way they interpret it. Some would say that in this passage, Paul does not say that husbands and wives have different roles. Some would say that in this passage, husbands and wives have the same role. This viewpoint is called the egalitarian viewpoint, if you want to write down a word. Egalitarian, which means equal or the same. It teaches that husbands and wives have the same role. The husband does not have a leadership role more than the wife does. They share leadership equally. That's the egalitarian viewpoint. That's not the viewpoint that I think is what is biblical. I have wonderful friends who love Jesus who are egalitarians, but I believe what the scriptures teach is a different viewpoint, which is called the complementarian viewpoint. Is that too many theological words? So we've got egalitarian and we've got complementarian. Complementarian means that what Paul understands what Paul is saying here is that men and women have different roles that complement each other with an E, complement each other. That is, the roles help each other. The husbands and wife help each other. They work together. They bring out each other's strengths. Um, it's a complementary, beneficial difference of relationship. And I want to show you this morning why I believe that's what Paul is teaching in this passage. Some of you may be egalitarians, okay? You may not have known that was the word, but that may be what you are. We love you. We're for you. I hope to change your mind this morning and help you see something different in this passage. So let's start by asking, are the husband's and wife's roles the same or different? I think Paul answers that in verses 22 and 23. But before I read those verses, let me give you one reason the egalitarians, the egalitarians say that Paul is teaching that there's the same roles between husband and wife. It's right there in verse 21. This is one of the main reasons. We studied this verse last week. It's a short verse. Paul calls us to be submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. And egalitarians say, if, the, if we're to be submitting to one another, that means husbands should be submitting to wives and wives should be submitting to husbands. But if husbands and wives are submitting to each other, where's the difference in the roles? That's a good question, right? It's a very good question. I don't think that's right, though, because of what Paul says in verse 22 and verse 23. Look at what he says. Verse 22, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, and here's the reason why. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. 
So Paul is saying that the role between the husband and the wife is similar to the role between Christ and the church. Christ and the church do not have the same role, right? The church, I'm sorry, Christ is the head of the church. Is the church the head of Christ? No. The church follows the lead of Christ, right? Does Christ follow the lead of the church? No. So verse 23 is very clear. The husband and wife's roles are like the roles between Christ and the church and the roles of Christ and the church are different from each other, which means that the roles of husband and wife are different from each other. Now, if that's true, then what about verse 21? Where Paul says that we all, including husbands and wives, are to submit to each other. What Paul is saying here is that we should each submit to each other in the sense of putting each other first and serving each other in a way that fits our unique God-given roles. So the husband should serve his wife, put her first by lovingly leading her, caring for her, protecting her, providing for her. That's the, the way he obeys the command of verse 21, given his role, by lovingly leading, serving his wife. The wife puts the husband first, serves the husband by lovingly welcoming his leadership, affirming his leadership, encouraging his leadership, following his leadership. So I don't think egalitarians are right to say that Ephesians 5.21 shows that husbands and wives have the same role. What Ephesians 5.21 says is that in the body of Christ, we all should be putting each other first and serving each other, and we will do that in the different roles that we have. So husbands will do that differently than wives, and wives will do that differently than husbands. Now, to take that a little bit deeper, let's ask this next question. What does it mean that the husband is the head of the wife? What does that mean? Read verse 23 again. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now, this word head, the Greek word, can have two different meanings. It can have the meaning of source, it can also have the meaning of authority. And which does it mean here? I mean, the way you decide what a word means in any particular context is to see which meaning makes the most sense here. And notice that Paul says the husband is the head of the wife. Now, does it make sense to think he's saying the husband is the source of the wife? You might think, well, wasn't Adam the source of Eve? And he was, remember? God put Adam into a deep sleep, took one of his ribs, and out of that rib created Eve. So Adam was the source of Eve, but that's not what Paul's saying here. Here Paul is saying that every husband is the head of every wife. And if you think that has the meaning source, that means every husband is the source of every wife, but that doesn't make any sense. How am I the source of Jan? I'm not, okay? Which is why I think that the meaning of authority makes the most sense here. And it does as you read it through the entire passage. So God is, or Paul is saying here that God has given you husbands the role of authority in your marriage and in your family. Now, just a warning, husbands. If, if you start to gloat at this point, 
If you start to feel a little smug saying, yes, you aren't understanding at all what Paul is saying. This should drive you to your knees in helplessness and desperate need for Christ more than anything else if you understand what Paul is saying here. Think about it like this. If somebody walked up to you and said, you now have authority over this entire company over here, you'd think, that's good news. But you know what that means? That means you're responsible for the entire company. You're responsible for everything that happens in that company. And if you're a husband, yes, God has put you in authority over your marriage and your family, but that means you're responsible for everything that happens in your marriage and your family. You're responsible before God in a way that your wife is not for everything that happens in your marriage and your family. Now, you can see this from the story of Adam and Eve. Remember what happened? The tragedy of both of them eating of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, both equally sinned, and they were in the garden. They went to hide because they, they realized what they'd done, so they went to hide, and God, in love and mercy, comes looking for them. And do you remember what the first thing was that God said? Who did God talk to first? Genesis 3, 9. Do we have that verse? (coughs) But the Lord God calls to the man. First words. Adam and Eve are hiding. God comes and God says, Adam, to the man, said to him, where are you? The you is singular here. Adam, where are you? Why? Well, because God had told Adam before Eve was even created, Don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Part of Adam's responsibility was to pass that on to Eve and to make sure that didn't happen. They both ended up eating. Adam, Adam, Adam. What happened, Adam? Do you feel that? Husband, husband, husband. What's happening with your finances? What's happening with the way the children are being raised? Husband, what about that leaky faucet? Your wife's been so patient. Fix that thing. Okay? There's a responsibility that comes with headship. Do you you feel that? And so this should not make us gloat or be smug in any way. It's like, oh, Lord, the, the weight, the weightiness of this should drive us to our knees before the Lord, saying, Lord, Lord, help us. So, men, when you stand before God in that final day, I think maybe he will ask us some questions like, did you lead your wife spiritually? How did you bless her spiritually? How did you strengthen her faith? What did you do? He'll know, but he, he wants to talk to you about it. Did you teach your children about Jesus, men? Now, now if your wife is a better teacher than you, you can delegate, okay? But, but again, be responsible to make sure that it, are the children being taught about Jesus? Were your children obedient? I mean, I think God may ask that question. Did you keep the budget balanced? We love kids here. Don't worry, by the way. We love kids. Um, Did you lead your family in being part of a church? Did you sit down with your family and say, let's pray. How can we advance the gospel in our neighborhood here in Abu Dhabi? What can we do? So, man, you are responsible for these things. Now, what that responsibility looks like is love. Look at verse 25. Husbands, here's the command to husbands, love your wives. Yes, you are given authority. Yes, you are responsible. And it should all be with the aroma, the feel of love. Love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. So headship means you love your wife. It doesn't mean you lead her, but you lead not for your sake, but for her sake. 
Jesus laid his life down for the church, loved the church, gave himself up for her. Here's the illustration that I, I thought about this week. Wayne Grudem uh, is a seminary professor in the U.S., professor of theology. He was teaching at a very well-known school in Chicago, Illinois, big, prestigious seminary, taught there for years, had wonderful relationships with his colleagues, and then his wife started to develop a health concern, and his doctor said, she really needs a warmer and drier climate. So what did Dr. Grudem do? He started looking for a job somewhere else. And he found a seminary job at a small, relatively, I'd never even heard of it before, unknown seminary in Phoenix, Arizona. And he, he got the job and moved his family there to the drier and warmer climate. He was leading, he was responsible, and he led for his wife's sake. So brothers, that's what we're called to do. Lead her in love for her sake, not for your sake. And to help us understand this, Paul describes in great detail what Jesus has done for the church because Jesus and the church is the model of husbands and wives. So look at what Paul says in verses 25 through 27. Now it's not that the husband does everything for the wife that, Paul, that, that Christ did for the church. The list just doesn't work that way. But Paul wants us to be blown away with the sacrificial nature of Christ's love for the church and that he loved the church even though we were undeserving of this love. So verse 25, husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. So just pause there. Think about the cross. The cross is the picture, husbands, of what headship looks like, what loving leadership looks like. The cross there's no greater love than that pictured on the cross. No greater sacrifice than that pictured of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, dying on the cross for our sins. So men, we are called to lay our lives down for our wives. That's what leadership and headship is. Verse 26, that he might sanctify her. He set us, the church, apart to be his own, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. Through the word of God, he broke the power of sin off of us. He set us free from our unbelief, broke the power of greed and lust and pride, cleansed us, washed us with the water of the word. Verse 27, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish, that's not a picture of, of oppression or you know, uh, being squashed down. That's a picture of blossoming. It's a picture of flourishing. The church is just like alive because of Jesus' love for us. And men, your wife should blossom and flourish and be alive under your leadership. Is that happening? Jesus is our example here. Then in verse 28 to 30, Paul gives another illustration of how husbands are to love their wife. Verse 28, in the same way husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church because we are members of his body. When you vow before God I'm going to be faithful and love this woman till death do us part. When, when you together make that vow to each other, 
At that moment, God supernaturally joins you together, the husband and the wife. You walked in as two, two flesh, you leave as one flesh. You're joined together in an amazing closeness. You're now one flesh. And so husbands, just as you care for your own body, I mean, if you're hungry, you go to the refrigerator. If you're thirsty, you get something to drink, right? Just, I mean, your need is your need. You take care of it just as you love and care for and nurture, nourish your own body. So you should love and care for and nurture and nourish your wife. So here's what this means, man. Her need is your need. Don't just blow it off. Her need is your need. Her sorrows are your sorrows. Love her, care for her. Her joys are your joys. Her concerns are your concerns. Now, this doesn't mean you, you buy her whatever she wants, just like it doesn't mean you buy for yourself whatever you want, do you? No, man, we don't do that, right? So we, we need to exercise discipline in those ways, but it means that, that her concerns, her needs, her longings, her sorrows are yours and you love and you listen and you care. It's beautiful. This is what Paul's telling us to do here. You're committed to encouraging her, blessing her, providing for her, building her up spiritually, nurturing her. So let me give you some examples. When you come home after a long day, brutal day at work, you walk in the front door, Jesus, help me to serve and love my wife and my kids tonight. I remember hearing about a guy who, whenever he drove home from work, he would always stop five minutes away, park his car, and say, Lord, help me now. It's been a long day. <laughs> Give me strength. Help me to love. I just want to go watch TV, you know. Help me, help me to love. Help me to listen. Help me to ask. Help me to play. Help me to hug. Help me to do piggyback. Just, Lord, give me strength now. I want to love my family as I walk in the front door and just walk in. Love your family. That's what, that's what it means, brothers. It means you open the car door for your wife. It means you take the trash out for your wife. It means you fix that leaky kitchen faucet for your wife. You bring the groceries in for your wife. Can't you do that herself? Of course she can, probably better than you, but do it to serve her, okay? <laughs> serve her. You say, hon, why don't you take off Saturday afternoon, have, have coffee with some of the ladies in the home group, I'll take care of the kids. Okay? Okay. Beautiful. It means you take the initiative. Hun, let's talk about our finances, kind of where things are going, how our budget is. Let's talk about our sexual relationship. You know, whenever there's something to be talked about, husbands, take that initiative. Talk about these things. Little Johnny, we got to think through how to discipline him better. We got to talk about this issue. What should we do here? But so you're initiating. You're responsible. And if problem there, problem there, hon, let's let's talk about this. Let's pray about this. What can we do in this situation? Talk about your ministry goals together. So headship means loving leadership. Two words, loving leadership, loving leadership. Now, let me tell you a couple things headship does not mean. It does not mean the husband does everything, okay? If your wife is better with numbers than you are, then have her keep track of all the finances. Now, you're responsible for what ultimately happens, but if she's good with that, let her do it. If she enjoys that, praise the Lord, have her, have her work on that. But still, you're responsible, right? So you're not doing everything. She's much better than you in some things. Have her do those things. 
Headship does not mean the husband initiates everything. But it doesn't mean that you're responsible for a general pattern of, in, of initiative. I mean, there's nothing wrong with Jan initiating a... Con- hey, let's talk about what, are, what we do for vacation this summer or whatever. Nothing wrong with that at all. So wives don't hesitate to initiate things. But if Jan is the one who usually has to initiate, like, can we pray for our, our dinner tonight? Or, or can, we, can we maybe look at the Bible together? Or you know, can, can we talk about our finances? If she's always got to be the one initiating, there's something wrong. Right, men? Right. Okay. I knew it. All right. Headship does not mean the husband always gets his way. Oh, my goodness. Where do we get that idea? Jesus is on the cross. That's headship, men. Your leadership is not to serve you. It's to serve your wife. So, trivial example, but maybe, maybe not. If, if your favorite is Indian food, and her favorite is Thai food, and you're celebrating your anniversary, hon, let's go out for Thai food. Okay? Okay? All right. But aren't I the head? Yes, that's why you're going to go eat Thai food. <laughs> Loving leadership. Okay? Headship does not mean the husband makes all the decisions. Now, you're responsible to make sure that all the decisions that need to be made are made. But listen, your wife has incredible wisdom. So a smart leader will say, "Hun, let's sit down. I want to hear what you think about this. What do you think about vacation this summer? What do you think about our budget? What do you think? Ask, listen, learn. Very often, Jan knows better than me what we should be doing in different areas. That'll be true for you too. So no, you don't make all the decisions by yourself. You listen, you learn. Now, if you end up disagreeing, then men, the burden of the final decision is on you. And I hope you're feeling that it is a burden because God's going to ask you about it. How about that decision? Well done. Or how about that decision? Mm. Okay? Also, understand, I hope I can explain this correctly. The husband does not ever force his wife to follow his lead. Husbands never force their wives to do anything. So what should you do For example, like if your wife is spending too much money, what should you do? You say, hon, could could we talk about about our our finances sometime? And you know, so here's the budget and and here's what was spent last month and and we we, we need to spend less money. Could could you spend less on this or less on this? And you talk and you pray and you encourage and you appeal. But husbands never, your job is not to force your wife to submit to you. Her submission is between her and the Lord. Now, wives, submit to your husbands. We're going to come to that, okay? But husbands, you don't force your wife to do anything. And and just kind of along the same lines, never speak harshly to your wife. Never. Every word should be loving and kind. And never touch your wife in a way that's not affectionate and gentle and loving. And and wives, if your husband ever threatens you or harms you in any way, it's wrong. Absolutely wrong. And talk to your home group leader, talk to one of the elders. It it might very well be appropriate for you to separate from him for a time for your safety. If it ever comes to that, don't hesitate to do that. So, because there's lots of problems that people maybe don't know about behind the scenes that can happen behind closed doors. And so want us as a church to understand what the scriptures teach so we can 
bring glory to Christ. Now, let me also mention if anger is an issue, which I know it is for many people, there's good news in Jesus Christ. Oh, he can deal with anger. I don't care how much you feel like it it's, has total power over you, it does not, because like we sang this morning, what has the final word? The cross has the final word. Read the last half of Ephesians 4 on anger. Listen to those sermons on the last half of Ephesians 4 and talk to your home group leader. Talk to one of the elders if you've got a big anger issue. Let's work on that because Jesus will work. We love you. We, we all are battling with different areas of sin. If you've got an anger issue, let's get to work. Okay, that's what it means to be the head of the house for the husband. Now, how about the wife? What does it mean that the wife is to submit to her, her husband? Verses 22 through 24. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also the wives should submit in everything to their husbands. So if, if headship means loving leadership for the man, then submission means respectful followership. Loving leadership for the man, for the husband, respectful followership for the woman. What this means is that you, you don't chafe at his leadership, you don't balk at his leadership, you welcome his leadership. You encourage his leadership. You affirm his leadership. You follow his leadership. Now, this is not because he is superior to you in some way. Remember in 1 Peter chapter 3, Peter's talking to believing wives, and he urges them to submit to and obey their unbelieving husbands. The wives would be ahead of the husband spiritually in this case, right? Well, then why would Peter say that the wife should submit to the husband? It's because that's how God has set up marriage to be. The husband is to be the head of the wife in every marriage. It's not because husbands are superior, wives are inferior. That's just the roles God has laid out. Now, a couple of clarifications. What should the wife do if the husband calls her to join him in sin? What should the wife do? Paul does say wives should submit in everything to their husbands, but that doesn't mean in every single decision. It means in every area, but it's got to be as to the Lord. Verse 22, you've got to submit as to the Lord, and your ultimate allegiance is to the Lord. That's why you follow your husband's leadership. It's because Jesus is looking at you saying, trust me, follow his leadership. But if he's calling you into sin, Jesus would say, don't do it. I'm your Lord, ultimately. So let's say your husband wants you to join him in cheating on taxes. Like, hun, last year was a very tough year for us financially. We're not getting ahead. We've got to take some steps. I think, I think we just need to fudge some of these numbers in our taxes to not pay as many taxes. So let's, let's do that. What should you do? You should be obedient to the Lord Jesus before you're obedient to your husband. And you should say to your husband, I wish I could follow your lead here. God has made you the head of this home, but this would be sin. I can't disobey my ultimate Lord and Master for the sake of responding to your leadership. So regretfully, I have to say, no, I cannot do that. Don't follow your husband into sin. But otherwise, welcome and follow his lead. Now let me give you an illustration about how this worked in our church, in one situation, church in the US. There's an amazing woman 
And our church was involved in North Africa doing some mission trips there, along with a lot of other churches. A, a church had been started amongst a Muslim people group that was there. This beautiful thing that was happening. And um, she wanted to go on this short-term missions trip. And she thought about all the ways the gospel could be advancing and everything else. And so she shared with her husband that she thought she should go. And he wasn't able to go for various reasons. And he was petrified, thinking of her going. Thought of the dangers, thought of the problems. And he said, Hon, I, I, don't, I don't think you, I don't think, no, you can't go. I don't think you should go. So what did she do? She did exactly the right thing. First, she just prayed. Said, Lord, I think I'm supposed to go. I understand it's dangerous, but you're worth it all. The advance of the gospel changed my husband's heart. Help me to talk to him. And then she, she said, can we talk about this one more time? And so then she humbly shared her reasons for thinking that she should go. The gospel will be advanced. Yes, it's dangerous, but Jesus is worth it all. I think about Jesus being glorified in this people group. I really think I should go. But then she said something very important. She said, but whatever you decide, I will gladly follow. If you really don't think I should go, I will not go. Why don't you pray about it? and you let me know what you think we should do. And then she let it go. Beautiful picture of submission to her husband. And so he went and prayed about it. And he prayed about how he was afraid. And he was about how he was fearing not having his wife come back. And as he prayed, the Lord just met him and it's like, let her go. She's supposed to go. It's worth it. And so he came back and said, I think you're supposed to go. I fear losing you. It would be devastating. But for Jesus' sake, I think you're supposed to go. And she went. But see how that works? Very powerful for her to say, here's what I think, but whatever you decide, I will gladly follow. Freeing, powerful. And then the husband had to pray, and God let him. Now, one... Last question, what is Paul's conclusion here? Start with verse 31. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a quote from Genesis 2.24. The man takes the initiative. Relationship with the father and mother changes. He cleaves to his wife. He should be closer to your wife than you are to your father, than you are to your mother. A whole new relationship God makes you two become one flesh. You're joined together in a deep and a beautiful and a special way. But God has a special purpose for that closeness. Verse, 20, verse 32, Paul says, This mystery of becoming one flesh is profound, and I am saying it refers to Christ and the church. So what Paul is saying is that the closeness of marriage isn't just to give you each joy. It is that. It isn't just to bring children. It is to bring children. It isn't just for the stability of society. It does that. But there's an even higher purpose for marriage, and that is to display Christ's love for the church, the church's glad obedience to Christ. It's to display the beautiful oneness between Christ and the church. That's why you're married. One of the purposes for your marriage is to display Christ and the church and their closeness together. That's, and then that's why Paul says, verse 33, however, let each one of you, in order to make this display of Christ in the church, love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband, which means be responsive to his 
leadership. So God wants your marriage to be a display here in Abu Dhabi of Christ's love for the church and the church's joyful response to Christ. God wants people in your neighborhood to watch your marriage and say, wow. And, and the Holy Spirit, I, I don't know exactly how this works, but maybe he'll stir them in some way, like there's something going on here I need to ask them about. There's a beauty in that relationship. It just somehow stirs my heart. There's something more going on here. I've got to ask them about it. It could be somebody at your workplace sees that as you're shopping, but your marriage is the display to people in Abu Dhabi, the love that Christ has for the church and the glad responsiveness the church has for the Christ. The church has towards Christ. Now, if you're hearing this correctly, both husbands and wives should be feeling like, I'm not sure I can do this. It's a tall order, and it is. For husbands, I think many of you feel like I can feel at times, and that is, this is, this is too much. This takes too much more wisdom than I have. This takes more energy than I have. This is a lot. You should be feeling that at this point. You shouldn't be smug or gloating. It should be, oh, Lord. But I mean, here's the good news. 2 Corinthians 9, verse 8. God is able to make all grace abound to you so that always having all sufficiency in everything, you may have an abundance for every good deed. So husbands, God will give you the wisdom you need. God will give you the energy you need. God will give you the grace that you need. God will give you everything you need to lovingly lead your wife and your family. He's called you to be a husband. He's called you to be a father. He will give you the grace to do it. So get on your knees and cry out to God every day. Give me grace. Give me strength. Give me help. Maybe pull over to the side of the road five minutes before you get to your house after your work day and say, oh God, strengthen me. Help me. He will give you, I promise you, he will give you everything you need to lovingly lead your wife and your family. Wives, you might feel fear at this point. You might feel like, how can I trust this person? How can I trust this man to lead me? I would encourage you, lift your eyes up and see Jesus. And he's saying, trust me. Trust me. You can trust me. I will take care of you. Even if he makes some foolish decisions, which he will, trust me. And when you see him, his love for you shown on the cross, and when you see him saying, trust me, follow his lead, this will display my closeness with the church and the church's love for me, you'll be able to follow your husband's lead. So men, trust Christ's grace to give you everything you need. Women, trust Christ to take care of you as you follow your husband's lead. And we as a church, let's display Christ's glory through our marriages. Let's stand together. God, I pray for your power to touch each heart here, each, each husband who's here right now. Lord, I pray that no husband here is feeling smug or uh, like this puts them in a position of dominance and authority and, and something that they can abuse. Lord, I pray that nobody would think this. No husband here. Let us see your death on the cross as the model of what you're calling us to do for our wives. And let us see that you will give us the grace to do it.
this afternoon, tomorrow, next year, the rest of our lives. So Lord, strengthen every husband that's here right now, I pray. And Lord, wives who are feeling like, how can I trust this man for all these decisions? Lord, let them see you and let them trust you, that you will take care of them. You will protect them. You will help them. So Lord, I pray that you would touch husbands now. I pray that you would touch wives now. I pray that after today, the marriages at Grace Church would be stronger, that there'd be less squabbling, less fighting, that there'd be more harmony and unity, that more glory would come to Christ because of the marriages here at Grace Church. I pray for singles here, Lord, who aren't married yet, those who want to get married, Lord, that today's teaching would shape their thinking about who they marry, the seriousness of this commitment, the weightiness of this, what it means. So, Lord, we give our marriages to you. We dedicate them afresh to you for your glory and for your honor. In Jesus' name.